Hello, lads. Welcome to uh, the Alex Ovechkin episode, or as you might say, episode eight of Don't Mess With the Metro. Joined by uh, Dan and Andy today, and I'm going to ask the normal question. Uh, some couple of us just wrapped up school this past week, so uh, how's that been treating you for the past time? Well, it's it's been going. Um, I'm still finishing up a paper that I should have had done, but alas, here we are. Um, otherwise, yeah, things are things are coming up Millhouse, and I recently also this past week. I've also started to incorporate what Dan has been doing in his not drinking fest in that I have now been five days without having anything to drink. Some may say that it is because I am choosing a healthier lifestyle. Others may say it's because I don't have any beer in my fridge. And you know what? Let's see how it plays out. So inspired by his friends. You guys start somewhere or whatnot. Well, uh, up here, finals just wrapped up this past week for me and, uh, now I've just been simply having uh, no obligations for the past week at this time, and uh, I'm going to say it's uh, quite a blast. Not, not really, like, zero big commitments to go to outside of training each day. I've been enjoying that a lot, I can tell you that. Sounds pretty ideal, you know, not having to do anything. But uh, i got to give Andy a little bit of props for, uh, for sticking with it. I didn't know that he could go uh, five days. That's five days longer. And I would have thought that he could have gone. But yeah, soon enough, 40 days from today, you'll be where I am right now, where I'm at day 45. So congratulations. Oh, that's like I get carried away here. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me you don't think you can go 45 days. Well, if I put my mind to it, then yeah. But at the same time, this is summer, or it's about to be summer. Like once my pool opens, all bets are off. You sure it's opening? Ideally, <laughs> all bets are off. I'll just have people socially distance themselves, like make hold pool um, floaties away from each other, like those pool noodle things. Yeah, if I can whack you with the pool noodle, you're a little too close. Exactly. Just, just stick them into the into the wall and uh, stick through the bar to each side. Everybody gets to swim. It's like one person per lane or like per like per lane and like per square, six by six foot six square. By six boxes and just. Yep, this is your box. You get box yeah, you eight just, today. Like, you better enjoy it. Oh, you can't close the fence too bad. That's your spot. <laughs> take it or get out. Children, stay in the shallow end. Adults, fine. Take up the deep end, please, for the safety of everyone. Dan, I also have to ask you, what was that you were drinking right there? Is that a soda? No, that was cranberry juice. Cranberry juice. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's on that weight loss little cleanse as well. We're, we're, we're working our way. Down body fat percentage is going down. It's amazing what happens when you're not drinking three times a day. Mm. Hey, what, what I, can hear, I, uh, run, I hear running helps a lot with uh, weight loss as well. I actually it's have been running, uh, believe it or not, quite a common, bit. It's been a very common sport this day and age. Yeah, it's uh, it's been um, interesting to say the least. Uh, my sprinter days are not treating me as well as they used to. Uh, I've been using an app called Map My Run, but it's been just tracking how far I've gone and little by little been trying to work, don't want to hurt my knee any more than I already have since if anybody, I, I don't know, have I mentioned before about my knee? Probably. Oh, well, Maybe. if I hadn't, torn meniscus, you know, shit happens. Just trying to run at 70%, 80% capacity and don't want to tear it any more than it already is. You know, hit three and a half miles today. So, you know, we're, we're going, we're going, we're cooking. 
Well, I think your first mistake was uh, not joining Strava, so, but major props for uh, getting out there. It's a start. Everybody's got to start somewhere, just like Andy decided, you know, not to drink. Bingo. Mm, excellent topics indeed. Well, today to kick off our uh, talks today, we uh, uh, over the past week, the AHL announced that they had uh, canceled the remainder of their season amid all the events going on, uh, signaling some uh, bad looks for every other sport league uh, across North America. In particular, it's uh, big brother counter- counterpart in the NHL. One thing to note with the AHL, of course, is they might they don't exactly bring in TV revenues the way the four major sport leagues do. So it might might not be much of a surprise that a league like them has already waved the white flag on the season in in mid-May, whereas the other major professional pro leagues are still holding it out, going day by day, exploring various options left and right, not giving up wherever they go, but... I, I don't think it's as representative, though. I mean, it's an unfortunate thing, just like the whole DH thing happening in baseball right now. It's a, a load of horse shit. <laughs> we'll touch, we'll cross that road when we get there. But. I don't think the AHL needed to really cancel. I don't think it... I think it could have gone on, but I understand why it happened and the fact that i can understand it i can really accept it i just don't think that it's going to bleed over into the nhl because one of the the revenues and two the way that the ahl is set up it's supposed to be a feeder league if they're going straight into playoffs for the nhl having a feeder league continuous season i don't know if that's really gonna do much because i mean how many more games would they be playing anyway and is it really going to stunt development to cancel a few more regular season games. Ten. Maybe probably. playoffs. Like, again, taking playoffs away from teams, that's something I'm, like, half and half on. But other than that, like, as much as I don't agree with it, I get it, and I firmly ex- respect and accept it. Yeah, the uh, main problem with the AHL is the fact that they need that revenue of fans going to games. Like, I know here in Hershey, fans always pack the stadium. So it's really like that's where they draw a lot of their money from. It's not like they have TV deals to work with. It's not like they can have because, I mean, when the NHL does come back or like hopefully they do soon or they do like at the right time. And there are going to be a lot of people watching it because it'll be the playoffs. But it's not going to be the same story if the like if the NHL were to come back and they were just only advertising on TV, you wouldn't have like the same fan viewership that you would get from the NHL. It's just it's. It's an unfortunate circumstance, but at the same time, they already carved like they already took out all the ice and everything from the stadiums. They would have had to re- put it back in. They would have had to go through the whole rigmarole. It, it's unfortunately it was something that was on the horizon if they couldn't have gotten this straightened out sooner. So yeah, we we're in for, we're in a tough situation. And the ironic thing is because of the fact that the AHL is now like the season is basically done. And they're not wearing the cup. The Calder Cup winner is still the Charlotte Checkers. Next year, they're not even going to be there. So they'll still be the reigning Calder Cup champs, even though they're not even going to have a team there. It's uh, kind of wild when you think about it. And another thing to consider is, you know, the players don't make all that much money. And now, yes, it's obvious. I do not mean to say it's the same as minimum wage workers. 
but from their standpoint, from sort of the hard work that they do for how much risk they're, they might be taking if they're playing, they're not getting paid too much for merely being a hockey player. Now, I'm probably, admittedly, I'm probably comparing apples to oranges here, but motivation is probably just like gone, nowhere to be found. And ironically enough, just today, uh, someone in the uh, MLB announced said he wasn't going. He doesn't feel like playing uh, any part of having any part of his season if they were to uh, resume. Uh, yeah, Blake Snell announced he didn't want to play at any point of the season if it resumed, just because of risks or just because of salary cuts and risks. Now, granted, we all have to take risk at some point in our lives to get in and pay cut for an MLB baseball player isn't too much, but I don't know what he's thinking. He knows more about his situation than I am, so it's it's all totally up to him. I mean, he was the one that, like, before, during spring training, he said, uh, I mean, he was quoted as saying, like, if I get it, I get it, in regards to getting the virus. So the main thing, the main takeaway from this is the fact that they brought up, like he talked about the fact that they're going to be at a lesser salary. And for that, the players have to understand that the team, like the league is going to be have so much revenue by not having fans there. It's going to be have so much revenue by having sponsors pull out. Like they've already, and their sponsors are going to ask for half of their money back anyways, because they're only going to be working with half a season. Like, if they start in July, they're probably only going to work with an 80-something game season. So it's not the full 160. They can't expect to get paid for 160 days of work when they only work 80 days. Like, I understand that, yeah, it, it sucks that you're not going to get paid half your salary. But at the same time, you're not working half that time. And it's out of your control. Like, yeah, it's not in your control that you weren't working out of the, half that time. But still, it's not... It, it's something that you have to understand. Like there are people that are making that. I mean, it, it's just really. It, it's also kind of tone deaf when Snell is making seven figures and you're complaining about that much. I'm sorry, but there's more problems in the world right now. Tell that to the millions on uh, unemployment. Uh-huh. Now, I, I, yeah, I, I can't. It, it's just too out of line for me for him to like go there. It's just now. Even to add in. He's talking about that. Shouldn't he be fighting for the guys who are going to be making barely under a hundred thousand this year? The guys like McNeil and Alonzo, Labor Torres is going to be making that little. Fernando Tatis. You have all these young stars, Vlad Jr., that haven't hit arbitration yet. And if they're going to be making under a hundred k, that's basically what a decent chunk of people who are probably just middle class are making now. Right. And yeah, like. It's, like you said, it would make more sense if it was coming from someone like them who's on their rookie deal, who isn't, hasn't already secured the bag somewhat. Like, I get that he's out coming up for like his higher salary, but if you're on a rookie deal, you haven't made nearly what you should, and this is really going to hurt them in the long run. Well, well, totally, not so. But while we're on the uh, topic of uh, baseball, uh, there are news a couple of days ago that it is expected that AL and NL teams are expected to uh, have a high majority in uh, approving the uh, universal designated hitter across the league. And uh, with uh, NL, with a fan of an NL New York team in here and a fan of an AL New York team, I was 
pretty curious as to uh, what they would, how they would approach each other on this, because I could tell there were two vastly different reactions to these news. All right. Well, the uh, DH, the designated hitter for um, for baseball, has been put into play since 1973 in the American League. So, since 1974, at the earliest, the National League has been behind. This is something that it's not baseball isn't how it was like 50 years ago. We don't have pitchers batting the same way that they did back then. You don't have like players like Babe Ruth that'll be able to hit and pitch. I mean, Sohei Otani, you talk about him being such a great player. It's because of the fact that he can do something that almost no other pitcher can. Sorry, but this past year, when pitchers are putting up a 137 on-base percentage and an OPS mark of 317, nah, don't let them They shouldn't be hitting. Have the designated hitter. Make it so you have the ability for everyone to be able to like to be able to bat because otherwise you're just wasting a spot right there you walk the eight batter just to go to the pitcher and then strike him out there a free out every like every couple of at bats you get free out that's not right unless you're telling me that Sanchez wasn't free out back in 2018 when he hit 186 who when Gary Sanchez and who you know I, I still believe that Gary Sanchez will go down as one of the greatest power-hitting catchers in New York sports history. He and Mike Piazza will be used in the same sentence as hitters. But you're going to tell me that Gary Sanchez wasn't an automatic out in 2018 when he was up at the plate? No, because he was his on-base percentage Hit was 291. He's hitting 186. His on-base percentage is 291. He's walking. He's at least drawing walks. Do pitchers okay. draw walks? Okay. Now, now let's take this into account. What do pitchers do most of the time when they're at the plate? What is their role when they are at the plate? And this is just the way that of the way that baseball has been. It's that they are going to sacrifice. If they are going up there to sacrifice, they are not going to get their OBP up. They are not given the opportunity to bring their OBP up. They do not take batting practice because teams don't want to have pitchers take batting practice. That's just the way that it is for some odd reason. Couldn't tell you why. If you're in the field, you got to hit. Plain and simple. If you're one of the nine in the field, you got to be one of nine at the plate. Just because the pitchers, are you saying it's because the pitcher's special and because he throws a ball really hard or he's able to get a little extra spin spin rate on his ball so that way he gets a nice, decent slider every now and again, that that's the reason why you shouldn't hit? No, it's simple. It's just about the fact that the pitcher for decades now is no longer needed to hit. Like, what? you do not, because why are you going to have to waste a pitcher's bat, like, Take the ball out of the pitcher's hand and make them bat. Okay. Well, like, let them. So you're saying that the pitcher is a specialized player? Basically, it's become okay. that way. The sport so, has become that way. Okay. So you're telling me that you can put anybody behind the plate too. So the catcher's a specialized position too. So you're telling me that I could DH for a catcher too, because you're no, telling me because a catcher, plate, be a catcher. You're telling yeah. me that I can put Jeff McNeil behind the plate and be a catcher because that's a specialized position. No, why should I? Why should I risk my catcher going up to the plate? When you don't have many in your farm system that are available to be called up or signed, he gets beaned and he's on the IL for 15 days. Now I need to go find a catcher. You have plenty. Most of teams have. Most teams have plenty of catchers. What are you talking about? They have. Plenty, they always have emergency you only, catchers. You only have emergency two guys catcher all the time. Catcher. You only have two guys that are on the roster, and maybe one replacement guy that you can call up from AAA. Every team has there, five or six starters. Every team has at least two catchers, and then one emergency catcher in time of need. 
Then you also have at least two or three right in triple A. You have multiple in double A, multiple in single A. Catchers, there are plenty of depth there. But even then, the same thing can be applied if you're using this idea of a specialized position. What about first base? That's specialized too. You can also move. There are plenty of players that move from other position to catcher and then from catcher to other position. Look at Kyle Schwarber. Look at like... That's, um, that's not specialized. That's versatility. That's nowhere so, near specialized. That's versatility being able to play multiple positions. Well, you can say the same thing about pitching. There are plenty of versatile players that are able to play in catching, first base, second base, or catching outfield, third base. But you can't say that they can just go right into pitching. No, they. the only time they're in pitcher is like an emergency pitcher situation where like Chris Davis rolls out and strikes out someone because he knows how to strike out so much. So you're basically just saying to me exactly what I'm trying to say is that you're going to be DHing for a specialized player. Why should I not be allowed to DH for a catcher? Because you're DHing for a pitcher. Pitchers do not bat like through like yeah they don't bat. It's, I mean, it's a designated hitter. Why do I have to use my DH on the pitcher if if this is the rule? Again, because it's. I'm, I'm waiting. I got time. I got time. Okay. Got like I said before. There's a clear difference, and also there's a clear difference also statistically with pitchers batting and catchers batting. Okay, and this goes back to my point of pitchers you tend to sacrifice a lot. So let's take a scenario for a second, all right? Runner on first, nobody out. Pitcher up at the plate. What's he most likely going to do? Probably bunt. Okay. It's not that strikeout. Well, I don't know. I with the intention of what? Moving the runner over, correct? Yeah. So if it, the pitcher's job is to move the runner over. He is going to bunt, and how many times does a pitcher strike out bunting? Honestly, not that many. Most of the time, they get the ball down. Very rarely do you get a double play out of it. Most of the time, that batter moves over. Now, let's say, runner on first, you have your catcher up. Your catcher's going to be swinging, right? If your catcher's swinging and runner on first, it doesn't matter which way he hits the ball. If, if the runner's on second, you hit the ball to the right side of the infield, you're advancing from second to third. Pretty much guaranteed. You hit the ball to the right side of the infield, that's a double play. Your chances of getting into a double play are much higher. Now, moving the runner over, he hits a pop-up. He's not going to be tagging from first. He's not moving over. So you're telling me that there is no value in a pitcher being able to move a runner over in a sacrifice situation. That's also That basically right there is going to devalue a sacrifice fly for a runner on second with one out. Because you are in the exact same situation with the pitcher bunting and sacrificing himself to move the runner over to second and having a player flying out to right field, sacrifice to fly, getting the runner from second to third. All right. In this hypothetical situation, let's go ahead and throw in a DH instead of having a pitcher bat. Let's say you go ahead and have a DH there, runner on first, and no outs. You have someone that can actually put the ball into play and can actually do something productive. Maybe get a double, a triple, a homer, or even get on base himself, draw a walk, get a single. Even if you have a catcher, they're more likely to get on base. They're probably twice as likely, if not three times likely. Gary Sanchez in 2018 pulled up a uh, OPS or yeah on-base percentage of 2.91. That means th almost three out of every 10 times he was at the plate, he was getting on base. The average pitcher in 2019 decided to pull up an on-base percentage of 1.37, meaning that only one and a half times at most out of 10 times. So 15 times out of 100 times they would be able to get on base. Other than that, they're just moving over. And that's, again, an easy out. Yeah, you're moving a player over, but you're giving up an out. Whereas at least with another player, you're getting someone else on up, like, yeah, you're getting someone else on base. 
you're able to keep the game going or keep a rally going, keep momentum going. Why is it that you need to have this fixation of, oh, we got to get this guy out. We will just throw away this out. Yeah, we're going to go ahead. We have to spend an out in order to move this guy over. Why not just have someone there who will get the player over? And well, what's, the sample size well? On that? what's the sample size on that? Because the pitcher's only going to bat twice in a game. He's going to get pinch hit for every other time. The sample size of 2019? That was uh, so how many the entire 2019. It was 300. How bats is a DH going to get than a pitcher? And I'm just talking about a straight pitcher because the starter's only going to bat twice. DH might bat four times. So there's double the. We are talking about doubling our sample size for a DH than a pitcher. Okay, uh, still, I understand, but it's still a percentage. So we're taking a percentage of that, sm- like sample size, the smaller sample size. It'll still be substantial enough. Because even though it's half of it, you're taking away that was four thousand five hundred at bats in two thousand nineteen that pitchers went up to, and they only got five hundred and seventy one hits. So why is it that they're only batting like one twenty seven bang average, one thirty seven on base percentage? Whereas if you can say like yeah, catchers that they don't bat the same, they're not going to be as great as like regular infielders but still they're going to be able to put up numbers much more productive than that especially since they made it to the pros off of their ability to not only catch and field and everything frame pitches but to hit pitchers don't get called up their pros to hit they get called up to pitch so you're telling me that a defensive catcher doesn't have value then so you're telling me that a defensive catcher who hits below the mendoza line but nothing gets by him, has a strong arm, and can throw out Trey Turner nine out of ten times, wouldn't be called up and be a starting catcher? Under those, under that assumption, that's you're throwing away the third tool of a catcher. Most of them wind up, the, some of the best catchers of all time have to be able to hit. Yeah, they need to be able to hit. But I'm not saying that the pure defensive catchers are going to get it that way because most of them, they wound up being – like look at um yeah they wound up not being able to stay in the long run they can't hit if you especially as a catcher you're not going to be able to last unfortunately you're not going to be able to last I mean yeah you can wind up being a defensively great defensively and there are the cases that they'll wind up being just put into special situations as like a defensive replacement but you're not going to be a starter so why should they do the same thing for pitchers oh you can't hit then you shouldn't be a starting pitcher. You're not going to have defensive replacements anymore if you have a DH then. You're yeah, you going to diminish that role because you're not going to be having pinch hitters. You're not going to be able to make a double switch. Do Without you making a double switch, the, you're not going to have defensive players going in in the seventh inning of a game to be playing purely defensive for what their strength is. Do you even watch the AL? They do that all the time. The Yankees did that a shit ton this year. Like, look at – I mean, honestly – it was yeah. This past off, uh, this past, um, this past ALDS. Every time that the Yankees would have like the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, throw Maben in there in the uh, outfield to be able to rest one of the outfielders. Same thing that they would do in uh, what's it called? The Astros did a couple times. They were able to sub in their defensive replacements in the infield. They're able to do like AL teams do this all the time. This Not is, one. Double switch, which was what, what my point there was. It diminishes the value of a bench player. You you're need not a bench player to be able going, to sub in. Like you don't need not, to do a double switch. That you just need to do one, take one player out, put one player in. 
you're not going to see that, yeah. you're not going to see most of them going in. Most of them aren't going to be getting any playing time. They've been it also takes, doing that. And you're also <laughs> taking away the strategy of the game. What strategy of the game is there to just to piss away and out? This idea that like you have plenty of strategy as it is in the game. There, you don't need to squander any more just to get the ability to have like, oh, it's going to be a one-run game and the final score being one nothing, and it's going to be another like complete snore of a game. Like, why not have a game where it's like five-four or six-five, where you actually have a full lineup of nine hitters going against pitchers that are well rested, not having to go in and pitch and then like let's say a pitcher comes up with low bases in the fifth inning if they're pitching really well are you going to sub them out and then put in someone else there goes your ace and that's the point of being a manager you have to make these tough decisions you're now taking the game out of the manager's hands to put in a special guy who's going to hit 250 that might be able to hit no 25 30 home runs as a dh I mean, what kind of good, what more value are you really getting out of that, out of a guy who's going to be getting on 250 versus a guy who's going to be able to move your runners over? The guy who's going to hit 25, 30 home runs a season. The, the notion that the long ball is the key to the game today is what's really bringing everything overall down. And it's all, I think it's the way that probably the way that the marketing has been with baseball, however, however it is. But to your point of a six to five game, Call me a 24-year-old old school. Give me a one-to-nothing pitcher's duel. Give me a one-to-nothing, two complete games with both pitchers throwing roughly 110 pitches. Dan, I know you've watched Jacob DeGrom pitch the, pitch the Mets all the way up to a uh, one-nothing loss like every every other night and then, but not every team is structured like that. I'm sorry. Yep, and just like every other every team, or not every other team that's out there is structured to have some sort of DH that's going to be out there, like a Nelson Cruz. You're gonna every team at this point, almost every team has the ability, especially in the NL, teams are going to be able to put a player that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to use more often into that DH role. Especially this year, the Mets are going to have um, Cespedes if he winds up actually playing the. Brewers are going to be able to put Braun. It'll extend their careers instead of having them just be platooned into the outfield and then having them only play half a season or having to tax them. This will be allow them to play more. Like, this is better for the players' health. So now you're specializing hitters. So now we've started specializing pitchers, and now we're specializing certain hitters. Isn't that the point of the designated hitter? Yeah. I, yeah. Again, it's so almost like it's designated. You're specializing both of these guys. So if we're specializing... Why don't? What's the argument that says why can't we just split it up and have nine defensive players and nine offensive players? You put your best nine offensive players into the lineup, your best nine defensive players out out in the field. Same concept. Nine exactly. defensive players aren't going to be throwing a hundred some pitches a day. But what is holding you back from putting out your best players then? Because if the point of the DH is to be able to extend guys' careers and be able to put a better player into the pitcher spot, why can't I put a Juan Lagares out in center field? And have Yoannis Cespedes hit for him. So I can get a defensive gold glove center fielder who can't hit for shit, but put Cespedes, whose quads are probably going to explode when he runs to first base regardless, but would have a bat that's able to put up what you want out of a DH. What is holding me back from doing that under, under, neither- the, under the special players kind of rule? 
neither one is a pitcher. So now you it's literally just for one pitcher. Why are you specializing for one? If it's a designated hitter, why can't I designate anybody to hit in that spot? Again. Now you're just no. bo- now you're just boxing the DH smaller and smaller and smaller. It's not it's smaller. It's literally it's more always been only for the pitcher. Like you're putting so many more restrictions. This is this is almost as stupid as having the three batter rule for relievers. But it's literally only saying the fact that it's going to be for a pitcher. That's how it's been and that's how it's worked. I mean, honestly, if you wind up, you're only focusing on the other players. This is mainly focused on the pitchers because especially it, it'll help their careers. Look at Chen Ming Wang. So by focusing and letting a specialized player focus on his specialty, you're going to substitute another player who fo- focuses on their specialty to be able to play for them in the lineup or in the fields. You're being too general with player. It's only about pitchers and hitters. It's not about fielders. It it's doesn't relate to. But what is holding me back? What if I want my pitcher to hit? Who's going to want their pitcher to hit? Unless it's Shohei Otani, in which case he's going to be already the DH or pitcher. He's not going to play. You're not going to risk having your pitcher play the outfield. So in that case, yeah, you're, you can have your pitcher hit. The same way in 2015, the Giants had um, Madison Bumgarner hit instead of having a DH when they played the Oakland Athletics. They're free to do that. You are free to have your pitcher hit instead in place of your DH. We're putting it into a bucket of only a pitcher. The logical flaw in here is why can't I use it for any other player? Because it's boxed in, correct? Well, because it's only supposed to be for the pitcher. The same way, why can't you have the first baseman throw a pitch from... 90 feet away instead of from 60 feet, six inches away as the pitcher throws. You're throwing off the game by applying it like it's not supposed to be applicable to any other position besides pitchers. That's what this whole thing is. Why shouldn't it be? It is a designated hitter. You are designating one person in the lineup to hit for somebody else. And by restricting it to the pitcher, you're also restricting managers and taking their power away. Pitchers throw 100 pitches a game. Outfielders throw who, what, what little number? An outfielder might get like 10 balls hit at them over the course of a game. Why would you wind up having a pitcher who throws 100 pitches like bat and then sub out your outfielder and have a defensive replacement that way? It's not the same. It's a complete apples and oranges sort of situation to just say, well, we have one position that always has the ball uh, uh, like a center fielder might only get two fly balls a game a left fielder or a right fielder depending on the situation if a pitcher is just throwing a complete gem or if it's a, a, a ground ball pitcher they might not even see like a fly out the entire game and a catcher isn't going to be squatting behind the plate for nine innings at a time and making one throw for every throw that a pitcher throws the entire game he's not throwing that ball at the same speed as the pitcher Still exactly. got the still got the volume and putting the stress on his knees. I don't want that guy to get hurt. I don't want Wilson Ramos, who has a 26 game hitting streak, to get up to the plate and potentially risk himself. So why can't I have him DH and put Thomas Nito back there? You can, but you'll have Thomas Nito back. That's what that's the point of having a DH. The Yankees did that plenty with Gary Sanchez. Sometimes they would have him DH and put um, Higashioka in as the catcher replacement or Romine in as the catcher 
they would just have them catch and then use the DH on Sanchez. Or in the past, they've had um, back in like the early 2000s, or I mean, late 2000s, early 2010s, when uh, Posada, he, towards the end of his career, he would be DHing. They'd have someone else as a catcher. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was during the Russell Martin days and who's before Russell Martin? Yadi Molina? No, Jose Molina. Yeah. And I think Pudge Rodriguez was a catcher for a little bit. The point is, they're like, there's been a rotation of catchers throughout history. They are able to just. I mean, that's how the game is played, that you have catchers be able to do that. They're able to catch and hit. That's why that's one of the most valuable positions. But you can't expect a pitcher to be able to pitch 100 pitches, know a whole arsenal of different pitches, be able to throw at hundreds, of, like 100 miles an hour, and be able to do all this, and then go up there and hit, and then run, and expect him to like have to run the bases. That's how Masahiro Tanaka got hurt a couple of years ago. That's how Chengming Wang got hurt. Sorry, but no, it's you're expecting too much of a position that has now become, as with time, has become specialized to just be pitching. One point I can see Dan making is, okay, what's the difference between like squatting on your knees and like throwing your arm out left and right? It probably comes to the question as to what's the most power you use when you're batting, whether it be your, be your legs or your arms now. I don't want to sound like an idiot here, but like, wouldn't you be using the power in your arms more? And then thus why it's like if a pitcher's going out there to pitch, he's kind of maybe doing quote unquote, as Andy would like to think, like not so useful energy when you could be in the dugout resting that thing for the next inning. Also, it's the whole body. It's the legs too. That's why it comes. I mean, in the batting stance, you also need to be able to have the firm positioning with your legs and then to be able to run. And the same thing with pitching, you need to have that firm positioning with your legs. It's just... But it's more added strain, added strain that'll wind up hurting them. That's why, like, I mean, it's something that it was a long time coming. It's finally here, this uh, this idea to finally have a DH. <laughs> very, very aggressive thoughts, gentlemen. Very aggressive thoughts. Well, tra- transitioning uh, back to our main uh, sport, which we cover, I'm very curious, as I don't think I've asked you, any of you guys this so far, what is your first hockey memory that you can uh, think of to this day? I'm pretty sure it was either in 99 or 2000 when uh, I went to, I think it was the 1999-2000 season when I went to the garden with my dad um, when I was just a kid. And I was able to see the uh, Rangers take on the Sabres. So that was that was definitely fun. Other than that, um, the first time I remember like a full game was game seven of the 2001 uh, Stanley Cup Finals between the Avs and um, the um, Devils. You sound like you're like, looking for a funky name, weren't you? Well, I was honestly blank. Um, and then like, because I, I was just like, oh my God, I hated that team. But yeah, that was like my first memory. I just remember like my dad was telling me like, we got you your heart, it's your heart against them because we can't have them win another cup. And thankfully, the uh, Colorado Avalanche pulled out the win there. But other than that, yeah, that was basically my first couple memories. After 22 years, Raymond Bork. I was going to say, one that I can think of is, I think I, when I was like five years old, my parents would always uh, bring me to my brother's hockey games. But uh, me being my five-year-old self, I uh, never watched the games. I would always bring whatever gaming, like, 
device I had on me back in the day, or maybe not that early in my life, but definitely at that point in my life, I wasn't quite into hockey quite yet, like the rest of the family was, and so I was always tuned out <laughs> during them, but that's that's an early memory of the that's an early memory of the rank and ooh, uh, I guess I don't know if I've told you all this story before. The very first hockey jersey that was put on me was a uh, baby Detroit Red Wings one when I was uh, two months old when they were playing in the Stanley Cup final. Now, mind you, I was I was a '98 boy, which means when I was two months old, the uh, Red Wings were playing the Caps in the Stanley Cup final. And uh, my parents dressed me to what they thought was the right team at the time. And to uh, this day and age, I would like to say it would be the right team in twenty in various other scenarios, except that. Yeah, they uh, they did it against my own will, but they eventually uh, bought in. To, they eventually bought into uh, who we love now. So. It's a, uh, <laughs> I guess I give them crap for it every now and then, but it's, it's something funny to back up on upon. For my memory, everybody kind of talks about their, like, love of the game from the start. They remember, uh, like, learning to skate, and they learn uh, how to hold a stick, really, for the first time. Because, I mean, when you're young, you're just going to hold, like, a golf club or use one hand and whack yourself over the head or some other shit like that. I kind of go to the memory where... Like, I kind of really dri- I drive back to that and that feeling, and that was um, a game, my first game that I went to, which was the Rangers-Caps game when Merrick Malik uh, put the puck in between his legs and scored in the 15th round against Ole the goalie. That was Ovechkin's first year, if I'm not, or was it first or second year? Yeah, it was right after the lockout. Yeah, sure, was, I just yeah. I think November 25th, 2005. I still have the ticket stub hanging up in my room. So that was the game right there. That was my. Like, hey, this is, like, my sport. And, again, come from a baseball family. I'm the one who kind of went against the green. But, yeah, it was that was definitely a great moment. Yeah, I feel like I totally relate to you a lot because uh, my house is uh, certainly a hockey house. But uh, a lot of my uh, aunts in uh, Michigan are uh, pretty big into baseball. And one fact, one point I did forget to... I wanted to uh, touch on with early hockey memories was I think the first Caps game of many of which I can recall was when uh, my dad took me to a uh, game on New Year's Eve against the Flyers in uh, OB, uh, New Year's Eve 2005 against the Flyers and which was one of the nice things for you know being a kid at a uh, Caps game which he wasn't always going to is hey I want to see OV all the time. Naturally enough, Ovi had a goal in that game in addition to the uh, shootout decider. So you can say I, you can say I was pretty excited to uh, watch that there. And then uh, train of abolishing things, abolish the shootout while we're at it. But continue. Unfortunately, that'll go against Matt's desire to have a shootout decide the uh, cup winner. Shut <laughs> <laughs> your whore mouth. No disrespect to Troy Terry, but. We could have yeah, it in a uh, different form or so. You're telling me that overtime, three-on-three overtime for 10 minutes would not be much better than what we have now. And if you can't find a way to score in three-on-three overtime, it goes down as a tie. You didn't you deserve the extra don't point. Deserve, you do not deserve the extra point at that point. Just exactly. like, no, 
Like, I hate ties, but honestly, at that point, it's really warranted. Like, uh, I mean, at, at least, like, ties in football are dumb, just off the fact that they should have to just play continuous OT. But in hockey, it definitely is warranted because, like you said, three-on-three, three, you have so many ample opportunities. Come on. For 10 mm-hmm. minutes, you should one of you should be able to net it. At that point, like, no, neither goalie deserves to lose. Neither team deserves to win, but neither goalie. If they're facing that many shots, they don't deserve to loss either one. Exactly. I Although, think- for football, if call me radical you put kick if you really want to do like a shootout for football you put kickers and have them kick 50 yarders and each one that they make they got to move back one yard like tell me that that wouldn't be great after one overtime (laughs) deciding i don't know about that for deciding games necessarily but i mean it's no it's one of those things that it's like super fun when you see it the first time and like eventually like goes on and on and kind of like loses its touch and then you start asking yourself why in the world are we deciding games this way either that or you put the quarterback with like out with the center and one wide out you have one db one defensive tackle minute the ball snaps the one d tackle trying to get to the qb and uh (laughs) one-on-one Honestly, I was I was so excited for the uh, XFL's overtime. We never got to see it, but the way that they presented their overtime, it looked so fun. Just on the fact that they were going to have one possession of four downs from the twenty yard line, and they would just it would be like shootout style like that. It would just be like it was going to be so lit. Just having it twenty like twenty yards out, they have to score a touchdown, four downs. And then the same, like, if you get in less than that, if you only got scored in, let's say, two downs, the opposing team had to score in two downs then. Like, it was it was looking like it was going to be so awesome, and we never got to see it. Such a shame. Like, a sport like that for football, that makes sense. For hockey, 82 yeah. games, you know? It's like baseball, like baseball. I can understand maybe doing ties in baseball, but you're telling me that a 19-inning game, those like that's, yeah, like, no. that's where it gets good. Exactly. You want to have the late games in baseball. The same thing like in hockey and basketball. You can't have like, or well, in uh, basketball you want to have the late game. Hockey you should be able to have it at least extended like ten, and just keep it playing until like yeah, eventually they're gonna get exhausted and you don't want to have any injuries. But keep it playing instead of defaulting to shootout. The the idea to default to that is just mad cheap. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons it's kind of crazy how like baseball is the one sport where their overtime basically their overtime dash extra time rules are the same in the regular season as they are in the playoffs like I would lo- I would lobby for continuous overtime in the regular season but like there's a part of me that just thinks to myself you should save those like late games for just those historic moments specifically for the fight to the Stanley Cup in the playoffs. You know, for example, going to six overtime going to six overtimes in Montreal and like to open up the playoffs, that doesn't get as much press coverage, let's say, if it's like just a regular season game, but it's like yeah. the fact that it's the playoffs puts more meaning onto it per se. Well, again, I'm gonna repeat myself. I totally understand why people vote on continuous overtime, but at the same time, I also understand keeping that as quote unquote special and reserving it for those only particular times. Then again, as I say that, 
late games in baseball are pretty legendary, whether if it's in April or in October, either way. Yeah, it's just it's hard to compare the two of them for that exact reason. Like baseball has that feel year round. But even then, like obviously it's gonna be even better in the postseason, but even in like a nineteen game or a twenty game inning or a twenty inning game in uh May, it's still gonna be mad awesome deal to like stay up until two in the morning to watch it and it just it hits so like perfectly that's something that's always going to have that little aesthetic to it it's one thing for like like for hockey you're going to have three on three and i'm i just think if you have three on three you're technically you got six lines right there to make it 10 10 minutes for six lines of three like three on three it's not that much more ice time technically and the injury risk isn't as higher as it is for five minutes of what four on four was if you think about it yeah for guys on the ice yeah and like for baseball like every time you go to a baseball game at least for me there's three things that you want to see one like a perfect game or a no hitter two the game to go 21 innings or three a bench clearing brawl like if you could get any one of those three you're not going to tell me that that's not one of the best games you're ever going to be at uh, I'd throw a walk-off up there. Mm-hmm. It's always special. Being that, like, yeah, I was going to ask if you wanted to see a home run, but then I guess you weren't going that common. <laughs> yeah, no, def- definitely well, not. That. Although maybe for your viewing pleasure, it's a little uncommon. But... You mean Taylor back near the wall, it's out of here? Kind of yeah. Here's a joy for 2015 Mets, what? Or right off that, uh, right off the clanger. Uh, in Houston, too, from uh, an unsung hero. Right off that clanger, just like it's a trash can. Just like... Exactly. Mm. Curveball coming. Yep, I, was, I, was, I, I thought I heard three of them. That's a curveball. But uh, this was only one, though. That time was only one. What's supposed to come out of that? Uh, I think it was uh, break, some sort of breaking ball. You know, probably a sinker. Yeah, but if it clangs, that means that Howie just went boom. It's only fitting with the shirt I'm wearing, so could you say I just find out? Who knows? Shirt. Yeah. Wish I could have had one of those, but the Kansas City Royals decided to lead for only 13 innings out of a total of 52 and find a way to win a 4-1 to series. That was intended to more so be a flex on the topic Richard talking about, more so to you, but I guess if you're going to... I guess if you're going to be on that topic, it's uh, eerily similar to your uh, hockey team the uh, summer before versus right, let's, not, let's not get carried away here. That one was... The thing is, he has a point, though. And, you know, I'm going to get up on my soapbox right now. I'm, I'm prepping it. going to be standing up, clear my throat. <clears throat> that series is the closest 4-1 to series you are ever going to see. Honestly, I do kind of believe you. Name... Another series where you're going to see three games go into overtime, one game be decided by a pile of snow at the goal line, and then the other one was the only other like true win. All three games out in L.A. went into overtime, and L.A. found a way to win them, mostly because Rick Nash couldn't hit the ocean from a boat, but don't get me started on that. Well, there's also the game two deciding to completely ignore goaltender interference. That's just another throw one. that rule book right out of there where King lays on Hank and it's just like, nah, we're going to go ahead and ref it was just like, I didn't see nothing. 
Oh, and yeah, and then uh, the uh, anti-Hank Twitter uses that as the uh, main culprit for saying, "Oh, what do you? Oh, what do you mean he is so unfortunate to not have a cup or any of that nonsense?" That man stood on his head. Even though it's not like in uh, your next best year of your window, you guys couldn't score a goal on your last two games on home ice, but somehow it's on the goalie. Somehow. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah, yeah I love it. He's supposed to score, too. Absolutely. Z- zero, what, zero career goals. Like, are you kidding me? King of... Yeah. What is this? King of nothing. Well, I mean, you could also bring that up about what how Tampa kind of choked last year as well. I mean, and while we're on it, besides, like, taking away chokes in general, chokes, what are, what's the biggest underperformance in the last decade of a playoff team or a, or a certain player? Mostly, mostly team. Like, most, under, most underperforming outside of, that, outside of that, because that's my number one. Yeah, oh, outside of that. Yeah, I'm talking outside of that. Like, not outside scoring. I mean, I mean... Definitely I mean, the Chicago Blackhawks won the Western Conference in 2017 and got swept in the first round and scored like three to, goals. I'd like to throw in the uh, certain gamblers out in Vancouver, but even they could win a game in 2012. 2013, they didn't win Jack, but Do that. still. A mere one win after in 2012 after winning the President's Trophy. Exactly. And then a mere zero the year after. Yeah, after winning let the division. Be, let it let it be known that let it be known the gamblers didn't win a playoff series the rest of their career following their uh, very close shortcoming. Exactly. Once Bobby Lou did all the work in uh, against the uh, Bruins. It's weird to kind of think about too, for how certain players get certain monikers and stigmas attached to them because of the team play. For example, how come Ovi was a choker when the Caps couldn't win jack shit? Wasn't on him. Ovi was still showing up. Ovi was scoring. He did everything he had to do. Dude scored like a dude scored like a point. Had averaged like a point per game and like a goal every other game. Yet like I never, I, I haven't heard a lip. I haven't like heard a lip from the hockey media about how about how like much of an underperformer Steven Stamkos is. <laughs> That's another perfect one. Dare I say? Media bias. Dare I say? If the ref doesn't swallow his whistle. In Game Six on the island, is John Tavares a choker? If Tavares doesn't score that goal, if Trocheck, who was tripped, gets that called, Tavares doesn't score there. What happens? Well, he would leave the island and would still be called a traitor, like he was even with those two goals. What much difference would it be? And that transitions me to uh, this point: the 2010 Capitals did not choke. They at least showed up. To they at least. Uh, no, how do I say this? They at least showed up to six. Yeah, no, six. Of, they at least showed up to six of the games they played. The only one they didn't show up being was sort of game five, just because of how slow they started. But I don't know if you can really say a team didn't show up when they plotted 40, an average of 44 shots on goal in the last three games. Now, I mean, yes, in a professional team, you should figure out ways how to be the goaltender, but sometimes. Goalies just play like they're on freaking steroids and get, like, every break in the world. Oh, also, Mike Knubel did not interfere with him, FYI. So, yeah, but the only problem was it's, like, the one game they uh, didn't show up to was kind of the game that sparked all the entire downturn. The other team that we never really talk about as far as choke jobs, last year, all four division winners did not make it past the first round. And at least, like, 
the Predators put up a fight against the uh, Stars that were very underrated going into the playoffs. They were very hungry, and I mean, the Predators were, like, the past two years had gone deep playoff runs anyways, so it's not like they went on a whimper. The uh, Caps went out clearly, like, they took it to, it went to OT in Game 7, so it's not like they went out, like, just handed over easily. And everyone knows, like, where the Lightning went and what they did. But we haven't talked about nearly enough. The Flames went all in, and they got knocked out in five games. Uh, by a team that barely squeaked into the playoffs on the last, like the second to last game of the season. That's another team that they definitely choked away their chance. And this past decade, they've been, they've had so many good talents on their team. How is it that they haven't translated? Like at some point, you'd think that they would finally be able to translate that into success, uh, somewhat success on the uh, come April, but they haven't done anything come April. I don't mean this out any disrespect to uh, Flames fans, but their team just doesn't generate any clicks on online. If you had tell me to pick like a couple teams that I sort of like tend to forget that are in the league, like I mean, I don't know. One of them is Calgary. Now maybe I just say that because I'm an East Coast American, but you know, it's not exactly like they're generating clicks the way like Toronto is or. I mean, the Battle of Alberta is sort of helping those uh, new spread in the past every now and then. But it's like Edmonton's had, I mean, it hasn't helped that Jerome was retired. But it's like nowadays Edmonton is McDavid and Dreisaitl. The uh, Vancouver had the Sedin twins and the Longo and their President's Trophy run. Calgary just has, Calgary's just been super like vague to the hockey media and just sort of, I don't want to say boring, but just like, not very eye-catching, per se. I mean, as far as, like, the Flames are concerned, they don't have those marquee names, like you said. Their main names of Goudreau, like, he's already, they're talking about chopping him. I mean, Monaghan will be, like, hot one year, cold another year. Matt to Chuck, who knows how long he's going to be able to stay there. Lindholm, they got in a trade. Um, they had, they obviously traded away uh, Fox. They had... Uh, Hannafin, they acquired in a trade. They traded away Dougie Hamilton. They've made so many moves. It's just like all these moves at this point, they haven't been able to translate to anything. And you got to wonder when they're finally going to be able to either commit to going all in and making a run or commit to just tearing all down, trying to rebuild on the fly with like their with some semblance of youth. Because otherwise, they're just toiling in that like middle ground it feels like it doesn't feel like they have any sense of direction because it just doesn't feel i can't really commit to them being contending i can't commit to them being pretending and that's where basically last year was all season long they were like it's surprising it was surprising that they won the division considering all the other teams in the division of the sharks and the uh golden knights being like as good as they are and yeah they went to they somehow won the division made the playoffs got knocked out first round it's like well we saw that they were pretenders this whole time this is why they don't get the notoriety. I mean, well, the Leafs haven't won a playoff series in 16 years, yet they get all the notoriety in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that, but to the rest of us uh, hockey fans, we all know to not take them seriously until they actually do something come April. Well, on that note, we uh, have to move, move on to the uh, usual segment of Andy's Life Lesson of the Week. 
And I wonder what he's got wrapped in his mind this time around. I'm going to grab my notebook. i got to get ready. I, I'm taking track of this because these have saved my life. So, everybody, if you're driving right now, pull over to the side of the road. Get out of your car. Stand on top of your hood and, like, preach it to the crowd. Get ready. Folks, if I've taught you anything, it's this. In this quarantine time, make sure that you still take that extra minute or two in the morning to check your outfit to make sure there's no glaring holes in your shirt. Because the last thing you want to do is grab something out of your dryer or out of the um, folded laundry and be like, all right, I'll throw this on, throw on some jeans and head to work. And then halfway there, realize there's a nice gaping hole under one of your pits on your uh, shirt. And you think, well, time to see what we have in the trunk. And that's how you wind up rocking a uh, 2015 LVC shirt while you're at work and what's with that shirt it was one of those like just um student uh activities shirt that i had just that i was given for free but the problem was it was like all wrinkled and yeah i did not look my finest <laughs> thankfully no one else was in the building but still not the best moment i might i'd be laughing at this but this is some uh, serious stuff <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was it was certainly a day that I realized, well, I gotta get more sleep in the night at night. <laughs> you're, you're not getting enough sleep during quarantine? What you doing? I don't know, working full time and going to class and then at night stressing about this whole thing. No no big deal. Forget everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> the usual. <laughs> Well, lads, I think that is going to uh, do it for us on this uh, fine day here. Uh, thank you, as always, to uh, the uh, healthcare workers on the lines and essential workers providing us our uh, much-needed uh, items this day and age. And, uh, and if your state is reopening this weekend, uh, take, take the necessary precautions, but also uh, use your freedoms wisely. Uh, no, hope we hope everybody enjoys the rest of their day. Take care, guys. Happy blades. Have a good night.